Good morning, everyone. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Of course, I know we have some folks out, and with the weather and everything, I guess that may just be the way it's going to go today. We'll see how it is. Um, we are studying Matthew chapter 5. We're starting to look at verses 14 through 16. So that's Matthew chapter 5. And uh, before we get started here this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you and praise you for this day you've given us. We thank you for being our Heavenly Father, for watching over, and us, over us, Father, for teaching us all these things from your word, for showing us how we need to live this life, Father. We ask that you would lead and guide us in our studies, that we would always be seeking you and learning from you and drawing closer to our Lord on that narrow path, Father. We ask that you would forgive us for any sins, Father, and lead and guide us in our daily life so that we are your lights in the world doing the things that you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So we were looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So what does Jesus call us if we are, remember this is being built upon the Beatitudes. So if we're living in that state in the Beatitudes, what is Jesus calling us here? He's calling us the light of the world, right? Here Jesus is referring to us as that light, the light of the world. So who else did Jesus say was the light of the world? He himself said this. If we look at uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus was teaching in the temple. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Also, in John chapter 9, verse 5, speaking to the disciples, Jesus said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what is our light? Look at these verses where Jesus is talking about that. It's a, we are, our light is the light of life, right? That's what Jesus himself is referred to, refers to himself as the light of life, right? And where does that light come from? Yes, Shirley? Um, I'm saying, I'm thinking the light, we are the shining light and that's showing our faith. Right, that's showing, that shining light, that's showing our faith, that's showing these attitudes and attributes of God coming out of us. It's not us, but it's God in us, right? Jesus in us. So, yes, Pat? In 1 John 1, 7, says, If we walk in the light, he is in the light. We are those who are Yeah, so, okay, so 1 John 1, 7, this, this has to do 
with this. Let's read that verse real quick here so you can hear it. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Jesus, uh, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, right? Yes. Right. If we're living righteously, if we're living the way we should, as he tells us to, just like John is saying even here, if we walk in the light, that's our life following Jesus. If we walk in that light, then we have that fellowship, right, with one another and with God. And we have that, the blood, we have the blood of Christ cleansing us from all sin. So, yes. Yeah, if we're living, if we're living righteously, yes, we're we're showing the world a different way. We're not just living the way everyone else is living out in the world, right? And they should be able to see that, you know, and that should give us opportunities to teach. But that and that should be different from what we see in the world. Yes, some people, some people will do some good things, but we we should be different from the world. We should not be a part of all the other things, right? That's going on. So. So where does our light come from then, right? Jesus, right? That's where, that's where that light comes from. That's where we were going with that. And then let's see, we talked about this. How do we project this light into the world around us? You know, again, you can reflect that back. We're talking about our actions, what we're doing. Um, you can reflect that back to the Beatitudes, being humble, meek, showing mercy, pursuing righteousness, bringing peace to others, all those things, standing for the Lord, uh, even being persecuted. So how should we appear to others in our society? And this, this I'm going right back to the verses we read. How should we appear to, to people? It's kind of an odd uh, comparison, but we should be like that city on the hill, right? We should just be like that city on the hill where you simply, you simply see it there. You just see it. It's bright. Imagine you know, nowadays, maybe we don't see as much of this, but if you imagine in the old days, when the world at night was really dark and you saw a city on the hill, that was a big deal. You're like, oh my goodness, civilization, right? <laughs> I'm going to come out of the dark and into the light. This is a big deal. And it's, it's reminding you that there's a possible safe haven, you know, somewhere to rest. It's, it's a good thing, right? It's very much a good thing. So we don't see as much of that nowadays because we've lit up the world a lot ourselves with electricity and stuff. You know, God has blessed us with that. But looking on it back then, you can see that's that's a big deal. And then also there's the comparison like a lamp, right? Like a lamp, like a light in our house. Uh, you can just think of it as a lamp, a light bulb. Of course, they used a lot of candles and things but uh, or or gas lamps. But, you know, we should be illuminating the world around us, right, with the Lord. Yes. Right, let the lower lights be burning. It's kind of like that song, isn't it? Illuminating, illuminating, and uh, being like a, uh, what's the other comparison? It's even, we even use a picture of it. Thank you. We use a picture of it on the, on the bulletin, like a lighthouse shining on the sea, right? Being a light to, to it's, it's equally a warning and a sign of, letting you know where you are, right? But it's kind of a warning because the ships can get too close 
to the shore and crash on the rocks, right, and, and be destroyed and sunk. Yes? Right, Galatians 2.20. Okay, so Galatians 2.20 tells us, and I'll read that here real fast, that Christ lives in us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This this basically should be all of our descriptions, right? We should all be saying this and thinking that, right? Just like Paul did. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ in me. So that's how that's how we do that. Um, that should be that should be us shining Jesus light out into the world, chasing away the darkness, like we were talking about the lighthouse again breaking through the darkness so that everyone can see, just like Jesus did. So, continuing looking at those... Yes, Shirley? I just want to make an example here. Okay. Um, whenever we sing, let the lower lights be burning. Yes. I truly think of Anna Smith, because she told me one time that when they came from Germany, uh, they were coming across the ocean, and how when they seen the lower lights of the shores, that that was so exciting for them because they had such a rough time coming across. And that's when they, she came across when she was a little girl, her and her family, to America. Okay. And I think of that every time I sing that song. Okay. And that would be very uh, emotional. That would be. That goes with our comparison of the city on the hill, but that's that's a little different, isn't it? That's She's talking about the lower lights, how when yeah. Anna Smith and her family, they're traveling over the ocean, right. and they're talking about seeing the lights and not necessarily just like a lighthouse. Yeah. Right, but they're, but they're seeing the lower, they're seeing all the little lights on the shore and how exciting that was, and that would be very similar, and that was very exciting, and they had had a rough voyage, so it was... Uh, I see what would be the other word, um, very comforting to see that and know that you're getting there, that you're going to have that that rest, you're going to make it to your destination. Yes? When we see light, it gives us hope. And a lot of times we will go through a difficult time and we'll say, well, we're almost there, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. But this, this whole concept of light, it truly fills our hearts with hope. Right, light does fill our hearts with hope and we do use that phrase light at the end of the tunnel i can see the light at the end of the tunnel that's always a good thing we're reaching the end of something that's been difficult or maybe it's just been long and we're ready for that to be over with and you know we're looking forward to that light at the end of the tunnel so yeah that's in a way that's a way this life is in a way right we're looking forward to that light with jesus at the end of the tunnel so looking at these verses again uh, let's see. Um, what are we warned not to do with our light? Not to hide it, right? We're warned not to hide it. Not Don't hide our light. Do not hide our faith in Jesus. 
you know. Um, whose light are we sharing? Again, we, we talked about this. I probably beat that to death, but the, we're sharing the Lord's light. We don't want to hide the Lord, right? That's not our job. We're not supposed to be hiding the Lord or his light. So then with that thought in mind, and we kind of talked about this a little bit too, but what should people see us doing? Good works, right? They should see us doing good works just as a natural part of who we are, not that we're looking for any um, reward or awards or we're, you know, we're not looking for people to sing our praises, but just that we're doing good works, we're living honest, humble lives before God, you know, by our actions, not, not through talking and boasting, but just by our actions and our attitudes. And again, that goes back to the Beatitudes and you know, how we deal with things of this life. Yes. Along with that verse about not hiding that and, and, uh, and really not hiding Christ, Romans 1.16 says that Paul said he's not ashamed of the gospel. Right, Romans 1.16, yeah. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, and we shouldn't be hiding our li that light. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel, right? Yes, so. And we can't hide our light to fit in with the world either, right? We can't be undercover Christians. There's no such thing, right? You have to be a Christian. You just have to be out and out for the Lord. There's no hiding it. That doesn't serve any purpose or help anyone. So how can we, if we're having, if we have these beatitudes, if we have these attitudes, if we're shining our light, how can that affect people around us? I guess we... Right, it can help bring them to Christ. It might make them curious about why we live the way we do or, or how we are, if our attitude is always, you know, a good attitude towards things. It may make people curious. They may wonder why we're happy when they know we're going through adversity. They may wonder why we're smiling when they know we're hurting. Um, you know, and our answer is that the Lord is greater than our problems, right? So that our trust and belief in Jesus is how we navigate this world by faith and not by sight, not by our feelings, but by trusting God. And that's being God's light. Uh, see, we want to remember as Christians that we are meant to be seen. We are meant to be seen. We're meant to dispel the darkness and show the way to God. So the idea of being salt and light are both similar and have us representing the Lord in our lives both both are based. Remember that Jesus is he's laying a foundation. He's starting with the Beatitudes. He's coming down through these things. These are all based on what he's talked about before. He's, it's going to sound silly to say this, but he's super smart in the way he lays out his sermons and his teachings. He, he lays everything down just layer by layer, teaching us and showing us how we should be, right? So I don't want to dismiss any part of the sermon or pretend like it's just random thoughts he's throwing out in the air. It's not. He's, he's, he's layered all this out. He's thought all this through. He's the Son of God. He knows it all, right? So it's very important that we realize that. And he's telling us here, you know, that uh, to preach the gospel through our actions. Like I heard that one guy say, and I can't remember his name, but he said, always preach the gospel when necessary, use words. And that's basically, in these verses here, what Jesus is telling us. Always preach the gospel through our actions. So, 
Notice in verse 16, how does Jesus refer to God? Your Father in heaven, right? Your Father in heaven. He is our Heavenly Father. Now, what does the idea, this is just an open question, what does the idea of God being our Father make you think of? Yes. Well, my first thought is how, as children, you look up to your mother and you look up to your father. Yes. And you depend on them for everything. Yes. They are. You are small and they <coughs> take care of you. Right. We look up to our father. We depend on him for everything, right? And he yes. takes care of us. We look at him in that way. He's a caring giving, supporting Father, right? And it makes me think of these some of these same things. It makes me think of safety and security, wisdom and instruction, kindness and love. He is our provider, the provider of all good things. And he's also, he also gives us correction and punishment, doesn't he? So all these things in love, though, with our best interest at heart. He's not correcting us to be mean to us. There's no punishment that is intended for our detriment. It's all intended to help us improve and be better, improve our lives. So, does anybody have anything else on that before we move to the next verses? Yes. So if we're okay, so if we're not living our life correctly, if we're not being that light and shining that light, in a way we are dimming the light of Jesus, the light of the Lord. That's true because we're all supposed to be his light for him now. In his place, because we're here when he is not, but we're supposed to represent him. So if we're not shining for him, yeah, we are kind of turning the light down a little, right? And that's not that's not what we're supposed to do. Okay, so let's see. Let's look at verses 17 through 20. That's Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jaw or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So, partly to understand this, we're, let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. First, what is the law? The law of Moses? The first five books of the Old Testament, right? I think we all generally agree, and that's, that's true. That's how they looked at that, typically. The first five books of the Old Testament, or the law of Moses. And then, what is the prophets? 
the other inspired works of the Old Testament, right, where it was given to the prophets and they and we have that recorded like you think of Ezekiel, Isaiah, right? The prophets, what they gave. Um, the inspired scripture of the prophets of the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is referring to. So now in our word book, if we look at question four, and I know I'm like all over the place and I keep coming back to the workbook, but we're still doing those questions. What was Jesus' relation? Now, and that, that may sound a little odd. What was Jesus' relation to the law of Moses? In other words, what was he saying about himself and the law? Yes, Pat? He came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, right? That's what he was saying. He's telling them that. Now, how did Jesus fulfill the law? Yes, that. He showed that he was God's son. He's the resurrection of life through his life, his death, and burial. He lived it perfectly, right? He's the only one to live the law perfectly. He showed them and us. I mean, he's that example, right? He lived it perfectly, and then he gave himself to complete it. He gave his own life to complete the law, right? To fulfill that part. So, yes. He actually fulfilled things that were prophesied about him before his arrival. What do you mean by that? Oh, I apologize. I understand. I misunderstood myself. Um, so, yes, he fulfilled those prophecies, those prophecies that came before him, before he was here, right? He fulfilled those prophecies in his life, right? So, yes, in that sense, too, he fulfilled the law and the prophets. He fulfilled those prophecies that were told about him, that he would be here. Yes. And he also fulfilled the prophecy about his death and Yes, yes, he fulfilled the prophecies of his death as well, right? And he said he would be raised up. He himself even prophesied and said he would be raised up, and, and he was, right? So, all right, so... Let's see. Um, so why do you think that Jesus said this in verse 17, that he, he did not come to destroy the law? Why is he telling, think of his audience here, why is he telling them this? A lot of them were Jews, right? Yeah. Well, he's teaching differently than what they are accustomed to, right? If we jump, if we jump back, I, I've done this before. If we jump to the end of the sermon, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, when Jesus is done. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So he was teaching them differently, and he was teaching them with his authority. He was not just reading from the scriptures. He was actually correcting some of the ways they were being taught, as we'll see that as we go. Um, so he's warning them. He's warning them here. He's kind of, you might say he's calming the fire down before it gets started, right? He's, he's saying, look, I'm not coming to destroy the law. I'm coming to fulfill it. And then he's going to teach more. But his teaching is for them, it's kind of radical. It's different. It's not what they're accustomed to. Yes, Pat? Many times you see that they 
Right. Well, we know that a lot of times, yeah, the Pharisees and the scribes would accuse him of blaspheming or something like that, sinning against God in other ways. So he was he was telling them how to live and act toward God and each other, though, and he was doing that with authority. So an, another question I have here is what conditions must be met for the law to pass away? If you notice, in the, this is kind of a, a word logic problem. I know a lot of people hate them. Yes, Pat? The death of the testator. Huh? The death of the testator. The death of the testator. Well, okay. That's, that's not exactly what Jesus said. I was looking at the conditions that Jesus gave. Because if you look at the verse, let's go back to that. If we look at what uh, Jesus says, he says, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jaw or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled, right? So there's actually, you could say three conditions. I'm going to say there's really two conditions. There's two conditions. Till heaven and earth pass away, till all is fulfilled. So then we have to ask ourselves, so has the law passed away? And you say yes. He established the new covenant, right? But has the law passed away? Has the earth and heavens passed away? No. Right? All is not fulfilled. Even the Old Testament talks about the end days that, that we've not seen, that we've not gotten to yet. They talk about the end. Actually, well, that's, see, that's a question that we have to look at. So, have the prophets passed away? No, not everything that they've prophesied has occurred, has not all been fulfilled, right? So it's not all passed away. Now then the next question is, kind of to get to your point, does this mean we need to follow the law? Yes, Shirley. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking we do follow some of the law. Right. Where it says, thou shalt not kill, right. thou shalt not there are things we still follow, right? And, you know, we're to honor our Father and all. And so we are still, but not all of them. Right. See? And, and I'll say it this way. Sometimes that's hard to grasp. We, we do not follow the law as it's laid out, the letter of the law, or like the Pharisees would have taught and done, right? We didn't. We don't follow that, Right. But what we do, and what we should do, is we should follow Jesus to fulfill the law as he did, right? Fulfilling the heart of the law so that, like you say, we're not murdering. We're not doing things like that. But neither are we going out and offering sacrifices. We're not uh, bound to the letter of the law things that, that they were because they were under the law. But Jesus has given us a new covenant, a new law, but he's still not totally abolishing the old law. He's, he is kind of, I don't know a better way to say it other than the fact that he's building us a new covenant on top of that old covenant. It's all layered, right? You start with Abraham. He had a certain covenant with God and you come up and then you have the Old Testament with Moses and Israel. They had a covenant with God and then the New Testament through Jesus is our covenant with God, and every time there's changes, right? And so Jesus has changed that covenant for us. And our covenant is a better covenant, a more perfect covenant. So 
Do we not follow the heart of the law, the spirit of the law? Yes, I think we do. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what he's getting at here. He's, he's teaching following the heart of the law and not just the letter of the law like they were doing. We still very much follow a lot of the ideals set out by the Ten Commandments, like Shirley was saying, we do. And Jesus is saying that his teaching is in harmony with the Old Testament. And when we live like Jesus and follow him, we too are in harmony with God in the Old Testament and the covenant that he's given us, right? Yes, Jim, did you have something? That is, then that's where that's where Jesus is heading. He's making that comparison in verses. Um, let me go to that real fast here. Well, as fast as I can go. That's as that's as good as we get. I'm sorry, um, but down in verses uh, 21 and 22, is that right? Yeah. Okay, verses 21, 22, and this is where we're this is where we're going as well. We're just not there. But you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother, and this says without a cause, some translations will not say without a cause. I think that's fine. The fact is, if we're angry with our brother, we are in danger of the judgment. And then whoever says to his brother, Rakah, shall be in danger of the council, and whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. These are intensified things. We're moving through a progress of first we're angry, then we're insulting and maybe slandering, and then we're condemning. And so that's an intensification, and that's leading us into trouble. But he's teaching us, like you say, he's teaching us to not even be angry, to really follow the heart of the law is not just to not murder, which is just the physical outcome, don't murder, but to not be angry or to deal with our anger in a proper way, right? To deal with our hearts, our change in our heart. He wants us to change our hearts. Yeah, he wants us to change our hearts. That's, that, again, goes back to the Beatitudes, right? He's trying to teach us to change our hearts. Well, he's not trying. He's teaching. We're trying to learn. Yes? There's a lot of logic in that because if we think about anger, it's a very strong emotion, and it can get the best of us, and then before we know it, We've said things we didn't say. Our actions can be something that are hard to take back because we've caused a lot of hurt with our anger. And yes. Jesus knew that. So it's better to not get angry and not really to get emotional with that and, and say things and do things that you're going to regret. Right, right. Because anytime, anytime we're... We're angry if we're if we're letting our emotion get the best of us. We're in danger of these problems, right? And saying things that we we shouldn't say. Maybe we don't really mean, you know, and just being heated and and then regretting what we've done later, you know. Excuse me. So let's see. So um, 
So yeah, so that's what Jesus is teaching us to, to actually, in a way, the New Testament in a way is more demanding than the Old Testament because we are, we are supposed to change our hearts. We're supposed to go a step further. Don't just murder somebody, but actually change your heart. Don't, don't allow yourself to get angry to that point, you know, and love, love your brother, love your enemy, love your neighbor, right? So he's really teaching us to go beyond what the Old Testament is teaching. The Old Testament has the structure and it has the right idea in that don't do these awful things, but he's saying to take it a step further. And we'll see that as we go through this sermon too, because he also encourages us to do a lot for our neighbor and to help others, even our enemies, and to love them. So, so what's our warning then in verse 19? What's our warning? In these verses. Well, he warns the audience, right? His audience, which is us now, but, but everybody back then too, not to break the commandments or to teach anyone else to do that, right? The word Jesus uses for breaking the commandments, it's a Greek word. Uh, we're not going to get into Greek, but, but I'll tell you the Greek word, and it means to annul or destroy or discard. In the NIV, we even say set aside. So what it means is he's warning the audience to not throw away the commandments, to not ignore the commandments, you know, remove them from your life. That's what we're getting at. If you decide, well, I'm not going to follow that commandment, you're annulling it. You're taking it and removing it from your life, right? And then he's saying, and teaches others to do the same way, right? That's even worse. Now you've gotten, not only have you done wrong for yourself, now you're hurting other people. That's even worse, right? So it's one thing if we decide to do that, to not obey the Lord, but then when we teach others to not obey the Lord, that's much worse. And Jesus says they will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And the words there, there's an implication that they're just not even going to be wanted in heaven. Okay, so they may not even make it to heaven because it's not desirable for them to be there. That's the implication of those words. Then we look at what is our promise in verse 19. Right. If we keep the law, if we teach those to keep the commandments, right, of the law, we will be called great and we will be using that same word. We'll be called great in heaven. We'll, we'll be desired. God will desire to have us in heaven. We, it's desirable that we would be there under that situation. Right. So that's that's the difference. If you can think of that as he's our father. Right. He, he disapproves of this, this action where you're teaching people wrong, but he greatly approves of this other action where you're teaching people correctly and you're doing correctly, right? That's, that's, it's kind of simple, but at the same time, um, just want to make sure that we understand what, what he's saying, what he's getting at there. So it's greatly approved when we teach people to follow the law. And we, as we know, the law is going to change for us, but nonetheless, the heart of law still is very valid. Does anybody have anything on that before? Okay. So if we look at question five of the workbook again, what does Jesus expect of those who would be citizens of the kingdom? 
Righteousness, right? What kind of righteousness? Right. Maximum top level, it surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So I, I just realized, I'm sorry, I just realized we're out of time here for this morning. So uh, we will pick up here again next week and we'll talk about the righteousness of the Pharisees. So thank you very much for your time and your attention.